Today's scripture comes to us from Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Um, hope you're able to stay warm on a very, very frigid week. And hopefully you've been able to uh, sustain your health without falling into any sickness or your loved ones. But if so, let's take this time now to go before the Lord, asking for him to give us uh, health, hope, as well as ears to hear his message today. So let's pray. Father, we come to you now this morning asking for your grace. Lord, you know some of the burdens that we have brought with us through these doors. You know the sorrow, the sickness, the frustrations, and the fears that we carry. Father, many of us are overwhelmed at times, and we feel frustrated. God, would you help us now to not let these things intrude on this holy moment, not to minimize these things, but to also remember that because you reign, because you are on the throne, even the things that are of death and of sorrow and pain are all minimized by the power of the cross. And Lord, we pray that the cross would be exalted, not simply so that the Son would be exalted, but through the Son, we would be exalted out of our fears, out of our worries, out of our sorrows. Lord, we pray now that you would help us to see the truth in light of all that we hear in today's message today. And we pray that you will bless this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, one of the stresses <clears throat> of having young children, especially if you have a bunch of them, is walking outside. Something as trivial, something as simple as walking outside is one of the most stressful things if you are parents of young children. Parents, you can testify, can you not? One of the most stressful endeavors of being a parent is making sure that your children are with you every time you're out and about, especially in a city like New York where you have busy streets, crowded sidewalks, flashy signs. And therefore, one of the commands that I'm always yelling at the top of my lungs when I'm out and about with my kids is, hey, follow mommy, follow mommy, follow daddy. Or sometimes I'll just say this in a row, follow me, follow me, follow me. I'll I'll literally say that over, people will be staring at me like, what's wrong with this guy? But I'll say it, follow me, follow me, follow me, over and over. I just keep saying that. Now, you would imagine that as my kids get older, as they have a little bit more discernment and more judgment sense, that they would not need me or anyone else for that matter to tell them to follow. Why? Because we all have this assumption that the older we get, the more mature we become, the less we would need to follow to where eventually we wouldn't need to follow at all. And so because that is so, we kind of make this underlying belief that to follow is childish. To follow is juvenile. To follow would be immature. But if you look at the Bible, you come to find that it teaches the exact opposite. The Bible teaches us that the more you grow in your faith, The mature you become, the more mature that you become, not less following happens, but more following happens. The more you mature in the gospel, the more you follow in the gospel. The more you mature, the more you follow. 
But sadly, many Christians today don't understand this. And because they don't understand it, therefore they don't live it out. And as a result, they fall tragic of what I see so many Christians falling into all the time. And that is the tragedy of thinking that Christianity doesn't work for them or that their Christianity is unfulfilling. Now, if what I'm saying to you sounds either confusing or disagreeable to you, please allow me to clarify and to convince you otherwise. But first, we're continuing our annual vision sermon series that we do at the beginning of every new year, where we take a look at the various components of the vision that we have as a church. And just so to make sure that we all know what this vision is, here it is again. The vision of NCF is as follows. NCF exists to bring hope to our broken world through men and women who grew up in the gospel by courageously displaying their allegiance to Jesus through their priorities, family, and work life, and their compassion to the poor, selflessly investing in personal relationships in order to share the gospel within their various social networks, which we call Oikos, confidently engaging culture with biblical wisdom in order to promote an inclusive community that flourishes Queens, New York City, the world, and the next generation. This is our vision that we feel God has given to us as a local body. And today, we're going to take a look at that first sub-point of courageously displaying our allegiance to Jesus. Our allegiance to Jesus. That is what we're going to focus on today. But that is such an interesting statement to a point where we wonder, what does it even mean? Well, Jesus himself will tell us in his own words as we take a look at this very well-known passage in the gospel. The gospel, according to Jesus, is God's way of clarifying for us what it means to have Jesus to be your primary allegiance. And what it basically means, according to Christ, is that we follow him. Showing allegiance to Jesus, according to Christ, is following him. But then again, we come back. What exactly does it mean? What does it mean to you, Christian, to follow Jesus? Well, that's what today's message is all about. So we're going to take a look at this passage from three perspectives. Number one, what it means to follow Jesus. Number two, why it's necessary to follow Jesus. And finally, how we can follow Jesus. What it means, why it's necessary, and how we can do it. Okay, let's jump right in first. What it means to follow Jesus. Read again with me verse 24 of our passage where it reads, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In the tradition of iconic words, at least, at least to the level of, I have a dream or ask not what this country can do for you, are these words of Jesus. Without a doubt, no other words of Christ has had more impact, more influence, more importance than the two words that he ends this verse with, follow me, follow me. When we carefully consider, excuse me, I'm so off today, I'm sorry, follow me, follow me. And yet, be that as it may, what we see so often is that many Christians have no idea what exactly that means to follow Christ, either because they don't know what Jesus is talking about or what they think Jesus is talking about is very different to what other Christians believe Jesus is saying. Case in point, in my personal library in the office at Whitestone, I have at least five books that have the title in it, Following Christ. And if you read those five books, as I did, you'll come to discover that none of those books agree about what it means to follow Jesus. One author will say following Jesus means that you cultivate personal godliness, personal piety, where you live a moral and ethical life of integrity. 
Another book will say, no, following Jesus means that you go into the inner city where you serve in the soup kitchens, where you feed the poor, shelter the homeless, clothe the naked. And then another book will say, no, 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 following Jesus means that you go out to the public square and you try to impact society by engaging politics, by engaging cultural dialogue, and making sure that Christianity has a place at the table when it comes to the public spheres of life. There is just a wide variety of views of what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm willing to bet that if I just polled five of you at random and I asked you, what do you think it means to follow Jesus? I'm pretty confident I would probably get five different answers. And because that is so, we may be tempted to think that there must not be some standardized universal conception of what it means to follow Jesus, that it's more of a subjective opinion, that it's more of our own personal preferences of what it means to follow Christ. But if that's what you think, that you that would make you absolutely wrong. Because as Jesus is going to show us, he's going to help us understand discipleship in such a way to show that all these various views of discipleship are both right and wrong at the same time. And here's why. When we carefully consider what Jesus is saying, we're going to find that many people have a very incomplete understanding of discipleship to a point what they think is right is actually partially right. Let me use a personal illustration that's a little silly, but maybe gets to a point. Sarah and I, my wife, have a certain agreement, an unspoken agreement that was there even before we dated. It still goes on today, actually. Whenever we go out uh, for a dinner date and we're out, just the two of us, hasn't happened in years, but when it does happen, Sarah will take a look at the menu and she'll order what she wants to eat. I will look at the menu and order what she wants to eat as well. You see, my wife married a guy who doesn't really care about food. I'm not a foodie. As far as I'm concerned, I don't really care what I eat so long as it's edible, okay? And my wife has taken full advantage of that in our marriage to where she sees that what's on my plate is as much hers as the plate on her plate, or the food on her plate, excuse me. And as a result, one question that she'll never ask throughout the night, I mean, she'll ask lots of questions because we love talking and engaging each other, but one question that she'll never ask me is this, hey, are you going to eat that? She never asked me, out of our 10 years of marriage, she's never asked, hey, honey, are you going to eat that? If she sees it, she wants it, it's gone, right? I guess that's her version of don't ask, don't tell kind of thing, right? That's how she understands it. She never says, are you going to eat that? That's such an interesting question, isn't it? Are you going to eat that? Usually, whenever the person who asked that question is later permitted to eat that food, is because of one, two situations have occurred. Number one, the person who's being asked that question is so full, and they don't have any more room in their stomach, and what's left is their leftovers, and so, yeah, sure, go ahead and eat it. Or it could be that what this person is asking to eat for that person, they don't want it. They don't like it. Yeah, you can have my broccoli. I don't like broccoli. Oh, you can have my fries. I'm not into fries. Right? Who's, who's that? But you know what I'm saying? Just get to the point. Right? That's the kind of situation that arises to when a person who asks such a question is able to eat such food. Now you're thinking, Pastor, what does any of this have to do with following Jesus? Has everything to do with following Jesus? See, what I've come to discover is that many Christians today see life as a plate of food. And they see Jesus as their dinner partner. And the way they see their following of Christ is how they would see themselves in terms of how much they're willing to share their food with Jesus. There are some Christians out there who think when it comes to what I'm willing to give to God, 
I'm willing to give the things of my life so long as I first have my opportunity to live my life the way I want to live. I get to enjoy my life the way I want to enjoy. And then after I'm done, after I'm full, whatever's left over here, Jesus, you can have it, right? Or I've seen situations where Christians will say, you know, Jesus, I don't care so much about this part of my life. So sure, you can have this. You can have this and that of my life because honestly, this doesn't matter that much. It's not that costly to give up. So here, of course, you can have it. Little vague, let me give you some personal illustrations. First, I've had conversations with Christians who've said to me, Pastor, I know God is important. I know I should be following him, but you know what? I'm still very young or I'm trying to get into this school or I'm trying to make partner this year or I'm trying to move out to Long Island so I need to build money up for myself and for my family. But pastor, I promise you, once I get this out of my system, once I'm married, once I make enough money, once I make partner, yes, finally then I will be serious. I'll start coming out more often on Sundays. I'll start serving in this capacity. I'll start reading my Bible more seriously. I'll I'll start living my Christian life more faithfully. Sound familiar? But what about that other mindset that I was talking about? I've seen situations where Christians are willing to give every Sunday to God. They're willing to hang out in every available time that they have with other Christians that they go to church with. But when it comes to asking them to share their faith, oh, no, 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 I I can't do that. Oh, no, 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 I'm not willing to do that. Or I've seen situations where Christians will read their Bible, listen to Christian lectures all the time, listen to podcasts, to podcasts. But if you ask them to get involved with some outward compassion projects, Right, feeding the poor, doing some engagement with those who are less fortunate. Ah, no, 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 no. That that's just not my style. Or I've seen situations where Christians are always going out and serving the poor, and they're always engaging the homeless, and they're always getting involved with outward compassionate endeavors. But when you ask them to deal with some inner issues like their lust or their anger, their greed, they're just like, eh. I'm not into piety. I'm not into that kind of inner spirituality stuff. You see, I've seen so often where Christians are willing to give up the things that they've already built a habit to doing because they grew up that way, or their personality gives them proclivity to where that's not much of a costly sacrifice to give, right? But once you ask them to get out of their comfort zone, once you ask them to start, you know, engaging the inner life of what's going on inside or asking them to engage in social justice or engaging them in evangelism. They're like, no, that's a little bit too uncomfortable. That's a little bit too much. I care too much about my comfort. I care too much about my privacy. I care too much about my own ability to just do what I want and not have to examine myself. You see, all the examples that I just gave to you has the mindset of I'm willing to give to Christ the things that are not that important, things that I'm okay to letting go. But when you ask me to let go of things that I really want to hold on to or things that make me uncomfortable to let go, I don't know if I can do it. See, the reasons why Christians have such divergent views of what it means to follow Christ is because of these two underlying mindsets that are so pervasive in the church's understanding of discipleship. I call it leftover discipleship, and I call the other one cheap discipleship. It's because of these two misunderstood conceptions of what it means to follow Christ that we do not seem to have a unanimous consensus of what it means to truly follow Christ. And they both assume the same faulty assumption, which is, I get to decide how I follow Christ. I get to decide what portion of my life I get to give to God and what I choose to keep to myself. 
But be careful when you fall into that kind of faulty way of thinking. For consider again what Jesus says in 24. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Christian, listen. If you consider yourself a genuine follower of Christ, if you consider yourself someone who is truly devoted to the cause of Christ and to his kingdom, you need to understand that God, Jesus, has full jurisdiction and full control over every area of your life. In other words, Jesus never should have to ask you, just like my wife should never have to ask me, are you going to eat that? Because just like my wife will show wrath upon me if I ever did, Christ might not be too happy with you. This is why Jesus says what he does, right? Deny himself. That is, there's nothing in our life that we can deny our Lord. Not just your religious life are you to give to him, but every area of your life. Your moral life, your work life, your financial life, your sex life, your recreation life. Every aspect of your life belongs to Christ. Consider how one pastor by the name of Tony Evans, excuse me, lives down in Dallas. Listen to how he echoes what I say here. He says, the problem with many Christians is that while they have made the decision to trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation, they have not yet made the decision to surrender their lives in such a way that they become his committed followers. The difference between a decision maker and a follower is surrender. God wants us to present ourselves to him to put our lives on the altar as a sacrifice to him. When an Israelite priest in the Old Testament times placed a sacrifice on the altar, he did not just put the head, the leg, or some other portion of the sacrificial animal on the altar. The entire animal was sacrificed. But too many believers today have a portion of their time, talents, and treasures on God's altar and assume it's enough. But God wants all of you to be given to him. God wants all of you to be given to him. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Now, let's be real here. Let's be frank. You hear this? You've heard it before? You know in your mind it's true, but in your heart, you don't want it to be true. Right? Because this idea of Christ having full control, full say, to where he can dictate and determine how we live every area of our life, it just sounds not only uncomfortable, but downright ludicrous. To where the natural question that's going to arise, you will never admit it out loud, at least in front of me, is why should we ever do that? Why would we ever want to do that, right? We've all asked that in the hidden corners of our own hearts at times. Why would we ever want to follow and commit our lives to Christ like this? Well, let me answer that question now by going to my next point, why it's necessary to follow Jesus. Now, again, perhaps the picture I've painted so far seems unattractive. It seems downright ludicrous because, again, for Christ to have full access, full control to where you fully surrender and he fully dictates every area of your life, it just sounds crazy. It sounds ludicrous. It sounds despairing. Why? Because it makes you feel like a slave, right? It makes you feel like you're nothing but a slave, a person with no rights, no opportunities. Now, as your pastor, I can respond in somewhat of a jerkish way, right? And you still have to take it because you know I'm right. For example, I could say, uh, hello, Christian, you are a slave. (laughs) Don't you know what the term Lord means? What the title Lord means? It means master. Don't you know how all the great 
apostles of Christ opened their letters to the churches that they wrote with. Paul, a slave of Christ. Peter, a slave of Christ. John, a slave of Christ. James, the brother of Jesus. Not the brother, the slave of Christ. You and I, we are slaves. We are slaves of Christ, yes. And I could say that to you, and you have to take it because you know that's true. But you know, I don't have to go there. I don't even have to stoop that low. You know why? All I need to do is point you to what Jesus says in verse 26. Listen again to what he says there. He says this, But what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Here Jesus is contrasting between two things where he's trying to show the superiority of one over the other. And here's the thing. Most people read that verse and they zero in on those two words, soul and world, and they conclude that the point Jesus is making is that your soul is so much more valuable than whatever the world could offer you, right? That's how most people interpret this verse. And so they come away thinking that the main point Jesus is making is that your soul is so important, more important than whatever the world has to offer. Now, on the one hand, that is true. That is part of what Jesus is saying. But if you think that's the only thing Jesus is saying, then you're missing the whole point. That is not the main point Jesus is getting at, okay? I would argue that the two words you really need to focus on are the ones that come right before those two words I just mentioned. And those are the two words, forfeit and gain forfeit again those are the words that you need to pay careful attention to why let me explain jesus again is contrasting between two kinds of life one life that is fully committed to following christ and another life that is not committed to following christ at all and jesus goes on to say that when you go this way of following christ fully you do not have to forfeit your soul but if you choose not to follow you end up being driven of trying to gain the whole world Those are the two contrasts Jesus is making. And he's trying to make this point that by not following him, you're actually going to be more of a slave than if you were trying to follow him. Let me show you how this works. Consider for a moment the phrase gain the whole world, but zero in on that word gain, gain. What does that word mean? To gain something means that you work to acquire something, right? To labor, to earn something that you do not yet possess, Once you possess it, you've gained it. But the whole idea about gaining something is that you're the one who's putting in all the work, all the labor to acquire something that you do not possess, right? That's what it means to gain something. Now, life teaches us that when you try to gain something small, a Snickers bar, a pack of gum at your local 7-Eleven, the labor required to acquire such a gain, very minimal, right? The amount of earning power you have to output very minuscule but the greater the gain becomes you're trying to acquire a car you're trying to gain a house you're trying to gain a partnership into a fortune 500 company right then the labor becomes more arduous then the effort becomes more difficult it becomes more overwhelming it becomes more grueling let me ask you how do you think it must feel when you're trying to gain not a car not a house but the whole world. How exhausting, how tiresome, how grueling do you think you would be? Do you think you would feel free? Do you think you would be content? Or could it be that maybe you will start feeling like a slave, overwhelmed, overworked, burnt out to the point of death? Down in Florida, there's a man by the name of Patrick Morley. And since 1991, 
He's been running a ministry called Man in the Mirror. And throughout these almost 30 years of ministry that he's done, he's worked with all types of men, right? Men in this country, men in other countries, rich men, poor men, religious men, non-religious men, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, white-collar, blue-collar, right? Atheist, devout. And all of his engagement of men, he's discovered one common struggle that they all have across the board. One recurring struggle that is more recurring than any other. Do you know what that struggle is? Listen to what he says in his own words. He says this, quote, Since I work with men as a vocation, sometimes I'm asked, if you could only make one observation about how men are doing, what would it be? This is it. If there is one thing you can know for sure about your men, is that they're tired. And not just physically tired, although that too, but mentally, emotionally, relationally, morally, and financially tired. They are exhausted from the fast pace of our demanding me now instant online real-time culture. You know the words that get tossed around, stressed, slammed, weary, in need of relief, wasted, fragile, short fuse. The, they are all synonyms that add up to tired. Now, ladies, please don't take offense the fact that I quoted about how tired we men are. Because I know, ladies, you're just as tired, if not more. Right? Sarah's not here today. She's home with the kid, and I'm glad she's not. <laughs> she could be like, what? Yes, ladies, I know you're just as tired, if not more, than your man. But consider the main point I'm trying to make here. In our consumeristic society, where we're socially engineered to just keep gaining more and more and more of this world, the one gender, right or wrong, that's had more opportunities to go for these gains, they're so exhausted. They're so overwhelmed. They're so tired. To where we have to ask ourselves, Is the idea of not following Christ really sparing us from falling into slavery? Here now, I hope you're beginning to understand why it's necessary for us to follow Christ. And ironically, it's for the very same reason that so many don't want to follow Christ. To avoid the life of slavery. Let me further my point by asking you to consider the second word we need to focus on. And that is forfeit. Forfeit. Now that word forfeit unlike the word gain, assumes the very opposite. When you gain something, you're assuming something that you're trying to get that you don't have, right? To forfeit, however, assumes that you already have that you're giving up, that you're forfeiting. Completely opposite ideas. And according to Jesus, when you follow him, right, you do not have to forfeit what he says is your soul. Your soul. Now, what in the world is your soul? Simply put, You are your soul. Your soul is you. Every human being, by virtue of the fact that they are human, has soul. Now, you might not have the kind of soul that, you know, Aretha Franklin and James Brown had, but you do definitely have the kind of soul that Jesus says. And to further elucidate what I mean, consider these words from theologian Bill Gillum. He writes this, quote, Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions, your thinker, your chooser, and your feeler. So specifically, your soul is the very thing that determines how you think, how you're motivated, how you feel, and therefore how you behave. Now, with that established, another question. What determines, more than anything, how you think, how you're motivated, how you feel? Do you know what it is? It's your identity, how you perceive yourself. Your identity is perhaps the one sole thing that determines how you think, how you feel, how you're motivated, and therefore how you behave. I mean, we know this, right? Why is it that when people get caught doing something they shouldn't, 
one of the big defenses that they always say is something to the effect of, this isn't who I am. This isn't me. I don't know why I did this because this is not the kind of person that I am. Why are they using language of identity to try and defend themselves? Because they know and you know. Your identity, more than anything, determines how you think, how you feel, and how you're motivated, and therefore how you behave. Okay? So putting all this together, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, if you follow me, you hold on to who you are. You keep your identity. You don't forfeit it. But if you choose not to follow me, if you let it go, you're going to take on a false identity. You're going to forfeit your true identity and take on a false identity, which I said a moment ago is what? The identity of a slave. The identity of a slave. Someone who has to gain approval. Someone who has to earn status. Someone who has to deserve love and kindness. This is why, friends, it's so important that you follow Jesus. And when I'm talking about friends, I'm not just talking about you Christians in here. I'm talking about every human being must follow Christ. Not because Christ wants to rule the world Right? Even though he has every right to, but because he wants to set people free. Do you understand? The reason why it's so necessary to follow Christ is that if you don't, the default mode that people are going to have when you first meet them is disrespect, disapproval, and disliking. That is, unless, of course, you can get their respect get their liking of you, get their approval of you through your achievements, through your accomplishments, through the awards that you so feverishly try to gain for yourself. I don't know about you, but when I consider the fallout that comes out when you're making those endeavors, I don't know, things like suicide, flings that lead to divorce, alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling problems, violence, bullying, sexual harassment, clearly this is not how God called us to live. This is not the kind of identity that we were supposed to take on in how we perceive ourselves. And so the question is, how do we make sure that we hold on to our true identity? How do we make sure that we don't self-destruct and destroy the people around us? The answer is clear. You have to follow Christ. You have to follow Christ. But therein lies the million-dollar question. How do you follow Christ? This leads me to my Final point, how we can follow Jesus. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, where starting in the fourth verse, we read, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God had sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. Pause right there. What does Paul say our identity is when you make Christ your Lord and Savior, when you make him the master of your life? What's your identity? Children of God. And how do we become children of God? Verse 5, God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. What is he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. The gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the message that says that when God originally created mankind, he created us in his image. That's simply the Bible's way of referring to us as God's children. God created us to be his children. 
where he is our creator father who loves us, okay? But the gospel goes on to tell us that we rebelled against God, we sinned against him, therefore we renounced this identity, and as a result, we acquired a false identity, which is what? The identity of a slave, where it's all about earning and gaining for our sense of approval, for our sense of significance, for our sense of worth. And God, in his justice, would have been so warranted in just leaving us in that pathetic condition where we're suffering the consequences of living a slave-minded way. But God chose not to do that because the gospel goes on to say that God loved us so much that he took his other child, his true child, his eternal child, God the Son, into the world. He became Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life, and he suffered the perfect substitutionary death for those who put their faith in him. Why? Why did God do this? So that you and I would know without a shadow of a doubt That God loves you for who you are, not what you do for him. Again, God did all of this to show you without a shadow of a doubt. He loves you for who you are, not what you do for him. Not what you do for him, but for who you are. Think again to how Paul describes the work of Jesus in Galatians 4. It is Jesus who earns all the gains that we get in our relationship to God. Right? Meaning all the grace, all the kindness, all the mercy, all the love God has for you isn't because you gained it through your efforts, through your works, through your sacrifice. Jesus is the one who did that for us. Jesus is the one, the King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the one who earned all these things. How? By coming into the world as a slave, living his life as a slave, dying the death of a slave. So that if you have faith in him, and submit your life to your king, Jesus, you could once again acquire what you forfeited in your sins. You could once again be called and be children of the living God. Okay? If there is anything that you need to hear from today's message, it's this. So I really want to make sure you understand this. God, according to the scriptures, tell us that you are precious, you are treasured, you are valued, And you're deeply loved by him, not because you've done anything, not because you've earned anything, you've gained anything to merit these things. No, the person who merited all these things for you was God himself, not you, okay? Please hold on to this. The thing that makes you lovable to God is not what you do for him. It's who you are. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that no matter what you do or don't do, if you're in Christ, you're deeply loved, deeply cherished, deeply valued, no matter what? You know why? Because you're not a slave. In Christ, you are a child. You know what the baseline drive of a slave is? What motivates a slave to do what they do? It's fear. Fear. Do you know what the baseline drive of a child is that gets them to do what they do, especially things that they must do? It's their confidence in their parents' love for them, a love that existed before, literally, they were born. Parents, let me ask you, did you start loving your child after they came out of your wife's body or out of your body? Or was it there before? I'm willing to bet that it was there before. Why? Because that is a picture of God's love, bef- God's love for you. Before you've done anything, before you failed, before you succeeded, before you sacrificed, before you acquired god loved you in christ before the foundations of the world as paul tells us in ephesians 
But do you live out your life that way? Do you really believe so? If you do, then and only then do you have the power. Then you have the desire. Then you have the strength to truly say, follow Christ, give all of my life to him. Yeah, because what's the alternative? Slavery, misery, pain, sorrow, depression, purposelessness that will lead to more atrocious things that harm me and those around me. Following Christ is the purpose of not only the Christian life, it's the purpose of all human life. But the question is, do you get that? Do you believe that? I hope and pray that as we move forward in becoming a church that lives out our faith publicly and sharing our faith with the people in our lives, that if anything, that the people in your lives who don't know Christ will see most of all is that you are a person who valiantly says, my allegiance to Jesus is found in the fact that there is nothing that Jesus could ask of me that I won't say it's yours. Because there's nothing that Jesus could have kept to himself that he did not freely give to you and says it's yours too. Do you believe that and will you leave that, live that out? Let's end by a couple next steps in today's message. First, today's message really resonated with you to a point where you're saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow Christ because I know of his love and I know what he's done. He's freed me from the slavery of sin and death. I'm ready to move forward. Then please take this time now. Go pray to him. Make him Lord and Savior. Come talk to us. We'd love to help you in your next steps. Number two, take some time this week. Reflect on this statement. God cares more about who you are than what you do for him. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? You know, one of the most practical ways you can figure out if you do or not is asking yourself, do you feel more confident in God's love for you when you've been more spiritual, more obedient, more righteous? If you do, chances are you're still thinking like a slave rather than a child. Take some time in prayer, asking for the Holy Spirit to make the truth so personal to where it becomes a growing conviction. Okay? Next. Re-listen to today's message and write out what obstacles get in the way of believing the gospel and share with your fellow Oikos members and ask for prayer. Ask for your brother and sister to pray for you to help you overcome whatever deception you've fallen into, whatever slave mindset that you still carry on and pray that God through the prayers of your fellow Oikos group member, will get you to a place of conviction and say, I'm a child of God, not a slave. Let's pray. Father, help us now to come before you, not with the mindset of a slave, not with the mindset <clears throat> of a measly servant, but Lord, as children of the living God. Father, it's so easy for us to think that when we hear your phrase, follow you, and it is a command, that it's also a threat to our sense of hope and our sense of freedom. But Jesus, help us to see the truth that it actually is the invitation to true freedom. It's the invitation of salvation from true slavery so that we can truly live our lives the way we were meant to live as children of the living God. Father, so many of us have really been hesitant in going all in with you. We have given our Sundays, we have given our religion life to you, But I wonder, have we given all of our life to you? Lord, we pray that as we move forward, that our allegiance to you will truly become a true one. Uh, Allegiance that is manifested in where we are radically and totally committed to following you at all costs.
denying you nothing, just as you've denied yourself nothing to us. Help us to live this out now, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.